Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. Early. Thank you. Man, it's good to see you all here this morning. I'm glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us and I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Jason. I have the honor and privilege of being a pastor here at the church, uh, serving with elders of whom uh, Ken is one of our elders. And so uh, just an honor to have you with us here. Um, if you're visiting in from out of town, glad you're here. If you're uh, just, just checking us out, we're glad that you're here. We hope you come back. Um, I want to just invite you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, that's where we're going to be. So um, we won't have the verse on the screen. Projector's not working. That's okay. We'll just have to use our real Bibles today. Um, if you don't have one, it's cool. We have them under the seats around you. Feel free to grab one of those Bibles and, uh, and pull it out. If you don't own a Bible, um, that's our free gift to you. Uh, be sure you take a copy of God's, home, home, God's Word home with you today. So today we're going to be talking about giving great gifts. And, uh, and so I want to just kind of he- just hear from you real quick by show of hands. How many of you feel like you're going to be giving a great gift to someone this year? Like you're excited for someone to open a gift you've given. Man, that's awesome. Uh, how many of you are expecting to receive a great gift? Okay, like you're expecting. How do you know? How do you, you already know? Man, that kind of takes the fun out of gift giving. I've got to start with a confession. I am potentially the world's worst gift giver. I'm just going to own it. And if you don't believe me, ask my wife, right? I am a horrible gift giver. And so what I want to do is I want to just start with some help for us uh, struggling gift givers on what it takes to give a great gift. What makes a great gift? So let me just give you um, some criteria on what what I think is involved in giving a great gift. Uh, First of all, thoughtfulness. Something about the gift needs to say a couple of things. One, I know who you are, right? So, for example, I know not to give my wife flowers any time of the year. It's a horrible gift. She doesn't like them, right? So if I buy her flowers, what I'm saying to her is I've forgotten who you are, right? So something about the gift needs to be able to communicate I know you and I've been thinking about you, right? So we're not talking about the, uh, the, the cheap gift aisle at Walmart, the generic Christmas gifts. We're talking about something that says specifically, I know you. So thoughtfulness goes, is, is one of the criteria for a great gift. How about unex- unexpectedness, right? Unexpectedness goes into getting a great gift. One of the things that I loathe about Valentine's Day is it's so expected. How are you ever going to give a great gift right, to the person you love when it's like expected and it's scripted and, it, right, and, you, and you've got to choose from among these few items here to tell that special someone that you love them. And so a great gift is unexpected. It's unpredictable, right? Not only that, a great gift involves sacrifice. Something about the gift says, I went out of my way to get this for you. It could be the cost, Right, which would say I had to save a lot of money. I had to say no to myself in order to be able to afford this. Or I've been preparing for a long time. I, I made this for you. I, it's taken me a long time to pull this gift together. Right, Some sense of sacrifice is involved in a great gift. The last thing I would mention this is that it is long-lasting. This is every parent's nightmare that the joy and the excitement of Christmas morning uh, would fade away by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, right? All the money and debt that you went into to make Christmas exciting for your kiddos, and all of a sudden, three hours later, they're bored. 
with what you got them. The hope is what? That they'll enjoy it for a time, for, for more than a day, maybe even more than a week. They'll be excited about the gift. So great gifts endure time. They're not something we get excited about in one moment and then we're bored with in the next. So I've already confessed that I, I'm not very good at these things. I'm not a very um, good gift giver. Now, I wonder what it would look like, though, if we applied this criteria to God himself. And we looked at God as a gift giver. What kind of gift giver is God? We're going to go to Ephesians 2 together, and we're going to look at the gift of God as the greatest gift giver of all time. We're going to start in Ephesians 2, chapter 2 verse 4. Now here's what Paul has said so far in chapter 2. He's basically said this, before you became Christians, before you came to know Jesus, you were like a dead man walking. Something about your life lacked life. Something about your life seemed kind of dead on the inside. So before you came to Christ, you were dead in your trespasses. So in verse 4, this is what Paul says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So I'm going to take a minute to look at God as a gift giver. And what kind of gift giver is God? Starting in verse 4, uh, Paul starts here by saying this, God is rich in what? Mercy. So God can afford to give great gifts. He's rich in mercy. And not only that, his gifts come out of his great love. So God gives gifts out of the riches of his mercy and because of his great love. Now, any great gift comes from a heart of love, right? If you don't love, you're not going to sacrifice. You're not going to do what's unexpected. You're not going to go out of your way. You're not going to be thoughtful. You're not going to care if the gift withstands the test of time. You're going to do like I normally do and run down to the Dollar Tree and grab a little sack and some little stuffing paper and throw something in it, right? Or you'll go back to the home to your closet and pull a bag out of the closet and mark somebody else's name out and you'll, right? That's, that, is, that, is that not right? Oh, okay, that's what I do. Um, and so... Right? If you don't love, you're, you're not going to give great gifts. But God gives out of the riches of his mercy, rooted in what? His great love for us. John 3.16, God reminds us of this love. He says, for God so loved the what? The world. That he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God gives out of the riches of his mercy, rooted in his great love for us. Now, verse 5 in Ephesians 2 reminds us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, this is when we received this great 
gift. What a remarkable expression of God as a gift giver. Think about this. What does that mean? That when we were dead in our trespasses, this is when God came to us and gave us this great gift in Christ. First of all, undeserved, right? There was nothing lovable about me that motivated God to send his son to the cross. Nothing. Nothing moral in me, nothing of value in me, nothing that made God go, you know what? I think I'll send my son to the cross for you. I mean, you're just that special. No, I was, I was dead in my trespasses. I was like a, a dead man walking. My life lacked joy, it lacked purpose, it lacked identity, and it lacked obedience. There's nothing within me that wanted to obey God or please God. Guess who I was living for? Me. Capital M, capital E, that's who I was before Christ. Paul is saying to me, Jason, before you became a Christian, you were like a dead man walking. Completely undeserved of the cross. Not only that, talk about unexpected. Jesus went to the cross before any person in this room ever drew a breath. Think about that. The gift, the true gift of Christmas was packaged and wrapped for you 2,000 years before you were ever born. Talk about unexpected, but not only that, nobody in the room was asking for it, right? No, nobody was. Even the people who were alive at the day that Jesus died on the cross, they weren't asking him to do that. You ever thought about that? Not one person came to Jesus and said, you know what we really need? We need a savior. Would you die on the cross for us? Actually, we see the opposite of that. We see people mocking him, spitting on him, mistreating him. Even his own disciples are abandoning him. John, probably the most faithful of the disciples in that moment, was following and watching from a distance, abandoned. Nobody was at the feet of Jesus saying, would you please die for us? We need a savior. And yet, very unexpectedly, Jesus goes to the cross for us. Not only was it undeserved and unexpected and not asked for, let's just be honest, it was deeply needed. Now think about that especially parents in the room. There's always that dilemma at Christmas, right, between what they want and what they need. And, and, and who knows better what they need than you? Yet you very seldom get a list of all the things that they need, right? Mom, could I get um, some socks and some new jeans for school? And, right, we don't get the things that they need. We get the list of things that they want, and we blend it with what they need, right? We dress up what they need in such a way we hope that they're excited about it. And God comes to us with the most unexpected, undeserved gift, and he gives us exactly what we need in Christ Jesus. Not what we want, right? What we need, because nobody, again, was saying, I need salvation. I need to think of myself less. I need to get my eyes off of me. I need to quit worshiping me. I need to place my affections on God. Nobody on earth was saying that, yet God came and didn't give us what we wanted. What did he do? He has given us what we needed on the deepest of levels. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Paul says it this way in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So did God wait for you to get your life together? He didn't. He didn't come to you and say, hey, I've got a deal for you. If you can quit cussing and, and quit drinking too much and, and quit running around with this crowd. If you'll do those things, I'll, I'll meet you halfway and I've got a gift for you. He didn't do that, did he? While we were still weak, proactively as a loving parent, God sent his son, Jesus, to the cross. 
verse eight of Romans five says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So think about that. While you and I not only were undeserving it, we weren't even asking for it. God says, you know what? I'm gonna come and I'm gonna give you what you need even though you don't know you need it. And he did that in the birth of Christ. Now, verse five is gonna begin, the second part of verse five is gonna begin to express this, this great gift that we have in Christ, starting first with what we have right now in this life and then what it means for us eternally. Look at where he starts. So even while we were dead in our trespasses, here's the gift of Christ. God has made us alive together with Christ for grace you have been saved. Think about that. Something about the gift that we received in Jesus is to be enjoyed in this life. Something about the gift that we get in Jesus, we don't have to wait on. You can start participating in it right now. Jesus said this in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. So it's, it's not that Jesus just is coming into your life that, that you could have security for eternity. It's that he's bringing a sense of abundant life to you right now. Let me, let me show you for just a minute how this plays out. So first of all, in Christ right now, if you're a Christian, you have access to a joy that no circumstance on earth can touch. You do. You have access to a joy that no matter what you're going through in life, you can still have that joy. Now, I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. Regardless of what circumstances, regardless of what you're walking through in life, there's a joy that you have in Christ right now that is unfading. And that's your, part of your abundant life in Christ. How about, how about your identity? Let's just talk very candidly for a minute. As if, as if our culture didn't struggle enough with security and identity, we've added social media to the mix. So for ladies, right, before social media, there was already enough insecurity, right? Every time you go to check out at the grocery store, you're reminded of, right, this false sense of identity that you have to have if you're going to have worth and value in our culture. Over and over again, the airbrush model is saying to you, unless you look like this, you won't be loved, you won't be accepted, you won't be worth anything. So already, men, our wives were struggling with a sense of insecurity and identity. And then we add social media to the mix. Where now we get these false projections of what it looks like to be a mom or, or a wife. And, and you ladies are, are watching this come through your news feed thinking, wow, why, why isn't my family playing? I'm a horrible mom. I'm a horrible wife. I'm, I'm never doing all these things. You get this false projection of identity. How about the men in the room? Our culture is inundated with boys who know how to shave that call themselves men. Full-size boys who should have already left adolescence and stepped into a role of responsibility and leadership who are still acting like 16-year-old boys. Right? If that's not enough, we just add social media to the mix and all of our insecurities are heightened. And part of the abundant life is in Christ is this. Jesus says to you, let me tell you who you are. Ladies, your identity is not found in how close you compare yourself to this false idea over here. Your identity is that you're a daughter of the most high God. 
That's your identity. Men, there is no greater honor, no greater masculinity than to be called a son of the most high God. And that's part of your abundant life in the free gift we receive in Jesus right now. When Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly, that's what he's talking about. How about purpose? It's the American way to teach our children what? You can be anything you want to be. Man, that's the most ridiculous thing. To try to come up with your own purpose in life? How futile is that? Right? A purpose is based on what you're interested in in any given moment. God comes to you and said, are you kidding me? I put you together. I designed you. Your personality, your talents, your passions, your gifts. Who do you think came up with that? I knit you together in your mother's womb. In Christ, we have a purpose that's not based on what we had for lunch. It's a purpose rooted in God's creativity, his ability to give us a purpose higher than we could ever come up with on our own. See, part of the, the joy and the, and, the, and, 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 the, and the excitement we have in the gift of Jesus, we partake in right now in this life. A joy that is unfading, identity that is secure, and a purpose that isn't made up. And then what Paul does in verse 6 now is he shifts to how this gift plays out eternally for us. Look at verse 6 with me in Ephesians 2. Not only do we, have we been made alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What Paul's referring to here is the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Now, as far as I can tell, nobody in the room has resurrected from the grave yet, right? And you certainly haven't ascended to the right hand of God because you're, you're sitting here with us, and I expect it to be far more glorious than what we're experiencing right here. The projectors are going to work in heaven. Right? You won't need projectors because you'll know the words, right? Well, let's just be honest. We haven't partaken in what he's talking about here, have we? Been raised up and seated with him. So what he's talking about here is the gift we have in Christ not only plays out in this life, but in the life to come. I love how he expresses this in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, that's, that's Bible talk for eternity. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So here on earth, let's just talk about this for a minute. There is plenty of evidence in just my life alone that God is rich in mercy and great in love. If you just watched my life story as boring as it would be and watch my life play out, you would go, my goodness, God is rich in mercy. I mean, nothing about my life at 14 or 15 would say to you, this is going to be a preacher boy, right? Quite the opposite. I was dead in my trespasses and there was plenty of evidence of that. Rebellious in my heart, Right? Desiring to obey only my own, my own fleshly desires. Desiring to worship my own ambitions. Nothing about me, right, would say, God's going to save him and then give him this awesome wife and then call him to pastor. So just look at my, just put my life out there alone. Plenty of evidence that God is rich in mercy. Throw you into the mix, right? I mean, we're talking a God who's wealthy in mercy. Just the mercy it takes to save us. Now look at what... Paul is saying, though, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So, 
Something about the riches of God's mercy and our gratitude of God's mercy is gonna extend into eternal life. Here's, what, here's how I interpret that verse. When, when I see you in heaven and you see me, we're gonna just shake our heads and go, God is rich in mercy. It's the only way you got in. And you're gonna leave me, it's the only way you got in. I'm like, I know. And so that for all eternity, there will be this evidence of God's rich mercy playing out over our lives so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Here's another way I'm reading that. There's never gonna be a time in eternity where I get to a place and you look at me and go, oh, finally, you've arrived. You no longer need grace or mercy. That's how deep my sin runs. I perpetually, eternally need the grace and mercy of Jesus to wash over me. And so part of the greatness of the gift of God comes to us in an abundant life right now. A joy that is unfading, a purpose that isn't made up or based on what we had for lunch, a, a, an identity that is secure, rooted in Christ, not in this, uh, what I see in the, as I'm checking out the grocery store or what I'm seeing on social media. And part of what I have in Christ will be a gift that never quits giving. It will extend into the ages to come. In Romans 6, 23, Paul reminds us that the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The free gift of God. Well, it's interesting because look at what Paul says next in verse 8 in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The free gift we have in Christ, it's not a gift exchange, right? It's not this idea that, that I'm gonna bring something to God and exchange my morality, my obedience, my self-sacrifice, right? My ability to look religious. I'm not bartering with God, it's not a gift exchange. The gift I have in Christ is a gift by grace through what? Faith. That's the only thing I bring to the gift exchange, faith. And then he goes on to say, oh, and by the way, you didn't even come up with that on your own. It's the free gift of God. You're saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, what's crazy, I see this, um, I see it play out in my own life, but I also see it play out in our culture, um, especially here in the Bible Belt. See, we, we, we start with, you're saved by grace, but then somehow we shift, and all of our identity after salvation is based on how hard we work for God, right? So now we're paying God back for his forgiveness and his grace and mercy, that's not the gospel. The gospel says that we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not a gift exchange. It's not, it's not a salary God owes us for being religious. So then where do obedience and holiness come into the mix? Let's talk about that for just a minute. So obedience and a pursuit of holiness. If we're not careful, we will place those two items out there and we'll chase after them in an effort to make God like us more, right? Pursuing holiness, 
working hard to obey God, and we'll pursue these things, somehow convinced that if we'll do them, God will be happier with us. He'll like us more. Obedience and the pursuit of holiness are the result of salvation, not cheap payments that we make to pay God back. We don't pursue obedience and holiness to make God like us more. We pursue a life of holiness and obedience towards God because he has already loved us greatly. And that's different. Here's what we believe about God's grace. God's grace, and I'm going to say this grammatically incorrect, never does nothing. Right? If you have bought into a sense of grace that hasn't changed you, you've bought into a cheap version of God's grace. God's grace, capital G, always changes us. It stirs us. It makes us come alive. It never leaves us the same. It stirs these affections in us. And now all of a sudden, we want to pursue holiness. We want to pursue obedience. Not to pay God back or earn his favor, but because we already have it. We pursue these things not to make God like us more, but because God has already loved us richly in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.23, we're reminded that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us falls underneath that umbrella of dead man walking, dead in trespasses. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we're applying this grid to God, right? Is he, is he a great gift giver? Let's think about it. How about thoughtfulness? Every Christian in this room, if we sit down and talk about your story, your testimony of how God led you to himself, you're going to be able to tell me, right, about all the fingerprints of God, circumstances and things happening, how God himself was calling you to him. There's going to be some evidence of that. God was thoughtful. God approached you. He went to the cross before you asked for it. He has been pursuing you. Do you know that? You may think that you came to church today to find God or to pursue God. And that may in fact be true. But what God wants to say to you is, I didn't wait for you. I didn't wait for you. I didn't make a deal with you. If you'll come halfway, I'll meet you in the middle. God says, I've already come all the way. I've done everything necessary to have a relationship with you. The invitation is out. Thoughtfulness. I know you and I know what you really need. How about unexpected? One of the things I hope that I never get over as I read about the gospel, as I teach the gospel, preach the gospel, is this idea that this was not expected for me. I was 15 years old when, when Jesus took me from death to life. I'm telling you, I was 15 years old, and I went to church camp chasing girls. True story. There's a man alive. His name is Tommy Tears. He was my best friend at the time. And he said to me, I'll quote him, do you want to go to church camp? I said, mm. he said to me, there will be girls there. <laughs> I didn't go to church camp to find God. And he said to me, you're going to have to go to church with me, though. That's, you've got to go to church in order to go to church camp. Let, let me get this straight. There are girls at church camp. Yes. And I have to go to church to get to church camp. Yes. What time do I need to be at church? Right? I was not pursuing God. He was pursuing me. He was taking my motives, right, and, and, and shifting those to what matters in life. It was very unexpected. How about sacrifice? 
Now think about this. As God is getting ready to unfold his plan of salvation through Christ, I don't want to cheapen what Jesus did, but the price tag on the gift that God has given you is his son. So when we read about the riches of God's mercy, how expensive was your salvation? God says, I'll tell you how expensive it was. It cost me my son. There is no greater price that I could pay for you. Think about it this way. When you think about the sacrifice of Jesus, so Jesus didn't start in the manger. That's not the beginning of Jesus. Before the manger, Jesus was seated on his throne as the sovereign king and lord of the universe. Right, And so what we get in Bethlehem is Jesus standing up out of his throne and descending to earth. Coming to earth to be born to Mary and Joseph? What do these jokers have that, that God needs, right? Teenage girl, first time dad, right? Not expert parents by any means. And King Jesus says, I want to be born to them. And he steps into our world and literally puts on our skin and he puts on our experiences. Jesus knows what tears taste like. How? Because he has actually wept. He knows what it feels like to, to deeply mourn the loss of someone you love. He, he actually cried at the death of Lazarus. He knows what it's like to be abandoned by good friends, right? To have friends go behind your back and talk about you. How about Peter, right? At the cross three times. I don't know that guy. Jesus knows what it feels like to not be invited, to not be included. He knows the, the, the pain that comes with affliction and suffering. Every experience in your life, he's familiar with it, including temptation. This is what King Jesus has done by becoming a baby born, wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a manger to Mary and Joseph. God is giving to us the greatest gift of all time. Talk about long-lasting. What Jesus is offering to you by faith, it will last not just this life, but the life to come. It's not something you're just gonna get excited about today and be bored with tomorrow. The scripture says that his mercies meet us new every morning. This, this is not a here today, gone tomorrow relationship. What God is saying to you through Christ is I have done everything. I've, got, I've, got, I've given you what you need, not what you want. I came to you when you didn't ask. I've seen your deepest need and I've met you there. Only thing I'm asking you to bring to the table is your mess and what little bit of faith you can muster up. Bring those to the table and I've got something for you. Now, as I look out at the room, I, I don't know everybody here. I see a lot of faces I know and some of your names and stories I know, but I see a lot of people I don't know. And so I don't wanna assume anything about your life. Here's what I would like to say to you. The true gift of Christmas is available to you right now. God wants to meet you in this moment. Everything that we've read about this morning, plus a whole lot more, he wants to give to you. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I'll come to church when I get my life 
on track. I'll come to church when I get things in order. God says, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you to bring me your mess. That's the point of the cross. He said, I want to fix your mess. There isn't a sin in your life. Hear me on this. There may be somebody in the room right now who's thinking, yeah, but preacher, you don't know how how dark my past is. I'm just telling you, Jesus does. You want to talk about dark and ugly? Take a fresh look at the cross. Jesus saying, I know every bit of your dark past and I still love you. I'm ready to meet you there. Pastor, you don't know how broken my marriage is. I don't know, but Jesus does. And I have seen him redeem some of the most broken marriages you could imagine. And I believe he can redeem yours. You don't know how rebellious I've been. You don't know how, how many times I've put my fist in the air and said to God, I don't like you. I don't believe in you. Listen, Jesus endured all that at the cross. And he's saying, I still love you. Come meet me here. Bring your mess. Bring what little bit of faith you can muster. And I'm going to meet you there and give you the greatest gift of all time. So here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us this morning. I'm going to pray that if you're here today and you don't know the hope that we have in Jesus, I'm going to pray that today would be the day, that this would be the moment that you would trust in the work of Christ by faith and that you would experience the joy that we have in the abundant life here on earth, looking forward to an eternity of gratitude as God lavishes us with mercy and grace. Let's pray together, and our worship team is going to come back up in just a minute. Jesus, we want to start by, by really just owning some stuff. Most, most days, we're like ungrateful children. Asking for, even at times demanding the things that we want out of life. This morning, would you help us to humbly acknowledge our deep need for you? Would you help us just to be honest right now, Lord Jesus? Our, our lives are a mess. When we're in charge, we make a wreck of things. Thank you for the riches of your mercy and the greatness of your love and the invitation to bring to you the mess that we've made. Thank you for supplying for our deepest need. Many of us showed up here today thinking, I hope this church service inspires me. I hope that somehow I walk away happier and God has said, you know what? That's not what I'm offering you today. How about this? I place an eternal joy in your life. And you walk out of here with a joy that doesn't fade. Others of you may have come in today thinking, man, I hope I figure some things out about who I am, what I'm supposed to do with my life. And and God says to you, here's the thing, you don't have to figure it out. Come to me. I designed you. I have a purpose for you. Maybe like so many of us, you came in here today not really even sure who you are. You've been scrambling to find your security and your your sense of identity and fleeting things. You've chased after it in a job or a promotion or a title or a relationship or another cheap toy, only to find that you're just as empty 
as you were before. God's saying to you, come to me. Let me say the most powerful thing over your life that anybody could say, you are mine. You're my son, you're my daughter. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in Christ, our identity is not based on what people think of us. God, our, our identity is rooted and secure in you. If you're here today and you're ready to receive this gift of salvation, I just want you to know, first of all, it needs to be in your own words and in your own heart. So I in no way wanna put words in your mouth, but if you're ready to receive this free gift of God, you could pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you've gone to the cross and died for my sins. Today I receive the free gift of grace and mercy that you wanna give to me that I could become your son or daughter eternally.